Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Happy Pride! I wanted to start things off with a big shout out of solidarity to my LGBTQ friends out there. And because, you know, this is the Polite Conversations podcast, let me also begin with a very civil, calm, and rational, but very big, fuck you to anyone offended by someone's right to exist, by someone's right to be represented, by someone's right to equality, and by inclusivity in general. There has been some troubling, troubling stuff going on lately. Of course, I as a cis het woman am pretty shielded from the direct effects of the recent sudden and horrific rise in anti-LGBT hatred, specifically transphobia, but I too am just terrified from watching it spread across the globe, from seeing all sorts of extremists emboldened by it, from seeing Islamic fundamentalists be energized by homophobic and queerphobic rhetoric in the West, from seeing so-called rational atheists join hands with the religious extremists who want to roll back the rights of an extremely vulnerable minority. So I wanted to do something this month just to show my solidarity and highlight important LGBT voices on my little platform, just to push back on the hate. I I do strongly believe that we've got to stick up for each other in this world. And when enough of us do, we make a difference. I mean, it's gotten to the point where anti-diversity hate on the mainstream right is mirroring white nationalist slogans, where Chick-fil-A is too woke for some people. I mean, it is alarming. But before we go any further, I do want to give a content warning. There will be clips in this episode of bigots saying homophobic and transphobic things. People can and will understandably find that upsetting. So please proceed with caution. Just know that in this episode, we will be thoroughly mocking and criticizing them. So hopefully that will make it more enjoyable for everyone. Now, for this episode, I wanted to highlight a couple of voices from the LGBT community, and they coincidentally are also both atheists and have the exact same initials, which I did not plan for, but kind of fun that it turned out that way. You may have heard them on my show before. I had not one, but two conversations for this very special episode, one with Chrissy Stroop and one with Chris Stedman. Enjoy! Welcome to the Polite Conversations Podcast, where every episode is focused on civility, decorum, and good manners. And I'm your lovable, non-controversial host, Ina. If you know me, you know I definitely don't like to ruffle any feathers at all.
Welcome to episode 70 of the Polite Conversations podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be speaking with the wonderful Chrissy Stroop, ex-evangelical writer, activist, senior correspondent for Religion Dispatches, weekly columnist for Open Democracy, and generally awesome uh, Twitter person. (laughs) Hello, Uh Chrissy. Uh, hi, Ina. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the warm introduction. Uh, you are an awesome Twitter person as well, but <laughs> I don't know how much I identify with being a Twitter person anymore. I oh, mean, yeah, I know, I'm, right? Oh. I'm, still, I'm still there. The place is a complete nightmare, though. I know, and I putting, know. It I put out fillers, you know, in, in, in new places, and I don't feel like I have a niche where I particularly belong in social media right now. Twitter is my new Facebook in the sense that basically I use it to promote my work and just hardly anything else anymore. Right. And that's what I used to do with Facebook until like two months ago when I just basically stopped posting to Facebook altogether. Right, right. The only reason I still have a profile, I guess there are two reasons. I want to save certain pictures that might only exist there. And... I also can't really figure out how to delete it. No, I know. I know what you mean. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Twitter is an absolute dumpster fire, but, like, almost everyone's still there. Unfortunately, I haven't seen anything that would replace it in the way of giving me the same amount of reach and access to mm-hmm. an audience and being, you know, a content creator as you are and I am, it's kind of hard to get by without that reach. Yeah. Nothing else is giving me that kind of reach yet either. So I'm still kind of like eking along there, but hoping that I might, you know, build that same kind of presence and reach on one of the newer things. Um, I'm on blue sky and, Spoutable now, and we'll see if they take off. I mean, Blue Sky, a lot of people who get invitations are going there, and it's pretty functional and nice. So yeah. I went there, too, when I got the chance. But I am definitely kind of side-eyeing this new Twitter, but not Twitter, by who else? Jack Dorsey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once, you know, Jack left Twitter, I did actually started to miss him because the people who followed and especially Elon Musk were actually worse, but not because Jack was actually good. So yeah, I know. Right. It's kind of like when Trump came into power and you're like, Oh man, somehow the Republicans before this seemed better, even though they were Republicans, but like Trump took it to the next level. And uh, now that's happening with Twitter too, I guess we Mm -hmm. like, I always found Jack to be a bit of a reactionary D-bag apologizing to fucking Candace Owens and shit. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, like, in love with Candace Owens, and he punished her detractors, and it was not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Among other, among many other, many other missteps. Oh, so many, so many, right? And now we have fucking, you know, if YouTube comments came to life, that fucking person... <laughs> Just the worst troll, pathetic guy, desperate to seem funny and likable online, and no amount of money that he spends can get him that. Just Nope, he's never going to be smart or look smart, because guess what? (laughs) He's just an apartheid man-baby with, you know, daddy's uh, ill-gotten mining money. That's right. And (laughs) stuff that he still denies, too. Weirdly. (laughs) 
it's like, dude, it's out there. Your dad is saying it. And uh, how are you still denying it? <sighs> yeah. But yeah, now that we have gotten that out of the way, unfortunately, we are here to discuss a pretty depressing topic. It is Pride Month and it sucks that I don't come to you, dear listeners, with better, happier news, but I do think it's important to talk about, push back on, and make our voices heard and generally just keep track of how fucking fashy and fucked up things are getting lately. It seems like now we're in a full-blown anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, satanic panic. And here's the thing, guys. We are living in crazy, demonic times. And as Christians, we need to speak with our dollars. We need to speak with where we shop. I, myself, will 100% not be shopping at Target ever again. Hey, do you guys support the satanic pride propaganda? I, I yeah, both. You support it? Satan say, and pride. You support Satan? Mm-hmm. What's God going to think of that? I don't believe in God. So you Did think you need help with something? You support the propaganda that's targeting the kids? Uh, there's nothing targeting kids. It's all, it's all over kids' TV shows. It's all over. They're targeting kids. Kids can choose to wear whatever they want. A zero tolerance policy for any DEI, any diversity initiative, anything anti-white, anything that pushes um, that, 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 that pushes the trans agenda, pride flags, all of that is far left extremism it is harmful it is poisonous to society all of it and we should have zero tolerance for all of it finally the right draws a hard line and says all of that is terrible i don't want any of it don't bring the trans stuff around kids period none of it don't put it on a baby onesie don't put it on uh, you know don't don't put it in the in the in the front of your store so kids can see it. Don't put it in the schools. Don't put it in the textbooks. And when we said that, we finally started making progress. But only then. It's the same thing with all this LGBT pride stuff and the DEI stuff. There is no way to, like, well, we'll take, we want little, little pieces of it are okay. You know, and then we'll get rid of the bad stuff. The only way is, is push all of it aside make all of it toxic and punish punish the people who promote it and engage in it that's the only way the fact that the lgbtq whatever community uses a rainbow as their symbol just goes to show you how truly evil it is how crazy is it that this community would choose a symbol that God gave us in the Bible as a promise of his love that he would never flood the earth again and that he essentially had restored humanity and that he's a loving God that this community would adopt that as their symbol so now whenever kids and children see rainbows they're too associated with um, the LGBTQ community diversity absolutely means anti-white that's what it means All diversity initiatives are anti-white initiatives. Anytime you hear about any kind of diversity initiative anywhere, whether it's in government, in corporations, uh, in any institution at all, it is an anti-white initiative. Diversity is an anti-white conspiracy. And you can clip that and cut it and post it on Twitter because I know you will, because that's what it is. We're in a full-blown 
anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, satanic panic, and I, as a cis hat woman, am shielded against the worst effects of things like this, and I'm fucking terrified. So I can't even begin to imagine what my LGBTQ friends are feeling these days, and... It is fucking awful out there. Chrissy has been doing a great job of documenting some of it. So, yeah, I thought you'd be a good guest to talk to about some of this stuff. Thanks. Yeah, I, you know, definitely don't keep track of 100% of everything that's happening in real time. I'm so grateful for the activists who are doing that, you know, in particular states or at their local levels or putting up monitoring websites and stuff like that because there is unbelievably much like it's so bad and we we've been seeing a trend in recent years uh in which year over year you know state legislatures introduce and then eventually pass more and more and harsher and harsher um anti-lgbtq laws most of them really targeting trans people uh so that is continuing. And if I remember correctly, I can pull up the numbers, but I think it's over 500 bills that were introduced uh, in state legislatures oh. this year. Yeah. And um, and a lot more of them passed, too, than, than last year as well. And of course, we're all aware of, of some of the worst ones to pass. I mean, the, the bans on um, health care for trans youth. And in Florida, what is kind of de facto, even a ban on trans health care for Adults. And Ron DeSantis did some of that stuff through, um, you know, manipulating and radically um, politicizing the state bureaucracy. So he staffed the state medical board. And what do state medical boards do? They are basically just supposed to be credentialing bodies. They're typically appointed by a state governor in the United States. I was recently looking into this. Sometimes, uh, subject to a sort of nomination process or legislature approval. In, in many states, it's just the governor just appoints whoever he wants. And it usually is a he if they're appointing terrible people, although not in 100% of cases. But, um, you know, DeSantis completely politicized the Florida State Medical Board so that they would, they would pass anti-trans standards of care. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's also defunded... Um, Medicaid and Medicare for, mm-hmm. for from paying for any you know transition care. There's no government insurance money going to healthcare for trans people in the state. And then yeah, and something to do with uh, DEI in general too, right? Oh yeah, I mean, for, he's also basically he's banned uh, the expen- the expenditure of public funds for DEI initiatives in universities because he's trying to just. Uh, squeeze them completely out. Um, yeah, it's it's really a lot. But this latest law it banned uh, nurse practitioners from prescribing uh, hormones or any kind of gender affirming care, which is absurd. And most people get their primary care through a nurse practitioner these days. Yeah. And apparently, other sections of this law are so vague that Florida advocates and activists are reporting now that. Um, Many trans adults, seems like most of them, have actually just lost access to their care and are not, they don't know that they're going to be able to to get it back because even a lot of MDs uh, are now, to be just out of an abundance of caution and 
an abundance of lack of care for people who are different than them have also stopped prescribing anything for gender-affirming care, even for adults, because they don't want to get in trouble. So they're calling it a de facto ban, uh, and the forcible detransition of trans adults in Florida. And Florida has the second largest uh, population of trans people in the United States. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, after California, Florida has about 100,000 transgender adults living there and about 16,000 trans youth that we know of. Oh, that just makes it so much more horrifying what's happening there. Yeah, yeah. It really is. And uh, let me quick see if I can pull up those uh, precise numbers on... Um, I just see follow these these various on the bills and, and yeah and advocacy organizations. I'm looking at one called the uh, I guess it's translegislation.com. And oh yeah, that's a that's a good one. It's called, it's the trans legislation tracker, right? Yeah, the anti-trans bills bills tracker. So it says 555 bills in 49 oh. states. Mm -hmm. 78 passed, 373 are active, and 104 failed. Okay, so that's gotten worse since I published a column for Open Democracy on May 25th, which I just pulled up and had uh, had that data in this column, but I should have just gone right back to the you know, trans legislation tracker. Um, so what I had you know, a, few, a couple of weeks ago was 549 bills, uh, 71 passed. So now it's up to 78 passed. Uh, wow. And by comparison, in 2022, well, only, you know, 174 bills were proposed and, and 26 passed. So this is actually a big leap this year. And I think, I think there is a, uh, you know, feedback loop there, too, playing into the uh, anti-queer violence and, and threats of violence. I do worry that this is a particularly dangerous Pride Month, you know. Yeah, I read your article on that. I had a quote from your article titled, U.S. Pride Month will be hard. We need its joy more than ever. Mm -hmm. And I'll link to that in the show notes. You say, LGBTIQ advocacy organization GLAD has confirmed there were 166 incidents specifically targeting drag events between the beginning of 2022 and April 25th, 2023. This includes a sharp uptick beginning in Pride season 2022 and continuing through the midterm election cycle. I would be surprised if we um, don't see another sharp uptick this year. And I mean, and we are, I think, starting to see it, right? Because Matt Walsh called on his trolls to go out into the world and, uh, you know, target... Um, corporations that are celebrating pride to sort of pick one to focus on get them to back down pick another one the only way is is push all of it aside make all of it toxic and punish punish the people who promote it and engage in it that's the only way and you know and i've always been kind of ambivalent about pinkwashing and corporate pride. I'm not like one of those queer people who's like 100% this is a bad thing because I think that under the circumstances that we live in, and I would love to not live under capitalism, yeah. but we do. So you kind of need corporations to, to be on your side uh, to a certain extent. 
And I think it's very worrisome that, you know, they're backing down now. So Target, the company Target, uh, Target has been targeted, sounds kind of funny, I mean, by these, these right-wing assholes, like, who've gone around, like, filming themselves, like, tearing down pride displays and stomping yeah. on them. And harassing the workers. Yeah. And so they've pulled certain products, uh, very similar to the, to the bookmans, things that, you know, trolls said were inappropriate for children or whatever, even though... They really didn't. I mean, there was no, there was no there there. Mm. Um, so they, they pulled certain products, and and I guess many stores they've moved pride displays to sort of less like prominent parts of the store. Like, that's just uh, so uh, just shocking, horrifying that that's, like, happening before our very eyes because I honestly used to take it for granted that we have moved past this kind of stuff up to a certain point and things, mm -hmm. you know, may progress slowly, but, you know, I, I assumed that they would still progress, not regress to this degree. Yeah, and I mean, and all the horrible stuff really seems to be accelerating. So this is this is very concerning. Like, look, do I really think that like Budweiser or even Target really gives a fuck about <laughs> queer people, other than uh, as consumers who get weighed against other consumers, including right wing asshole consumers? No, I, I I do not. But to see them immediately backing down, yes, as, as if they're seeing the writing on the wall. And so they're saying uh, now it's a good market bet to move away from being supportive of queer people as we have been in recent years. That's really concerning. And the thing is, I still don't think they, in doing that, that they represent majority opinion. They're just caving to people who yeah. are very angry and very loud and scaring their employees. But it gives that, you know, then that fascist movement momentum. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and fascists don't need uh, a majority to basically take control and and basically destroy uh, people that they hate. You know, they, they really just sort of need to be able to cow people who might otherwise not be with them into submission. They need to have a big enough, active enough movement to do that. And, you know, in, in certain states, they 100% have that. And in the United States, I mean, I think... It's very possible that, uh, you know, what maybe not Ron DeSantis, but a Republican becomes president. Republicans control the Supreme Court, let's be honest. It's not a nonpartisan institution. It is a highly, highly radical right-wing institution mm. at this point, deliberately politicized, and it's not doing what it's supposed to do, you know, being a, a neutral, nonpartisan arbiter of the law. It's, it's never been that, but it's way worse now than it yeah. has been in quite a long time. Um, yeah. And if they, you know, have the legislative branch as well, um, they can they can get away with trying to enforce this stuff nationwide. And I really hope that 
democratic controlled states will be that the government, you know, say governments, the leaders will be um, strong enough to put up some serious civil disobedience. If like they pass say a national uh, abortion ban, a national right. trans trans care ban. Um, I know that some state governments have already been stockpiling the pepper stone uh, since, you know, Republicans are trying to ban that the abortion pill. Oh, and yeah, so in case they aren't able to do that, and they've been trying to do that in a really shitty and shady way through the courts, right? They've been trying to argue that it shouldn't have been approved by the FDA and get its approval overturned, even though it's been used for decades, like around, I think, 20 years now as the gold standard of care. And um, its approval was a normal, perfectly good process. They're trying to get Mifepristone banned in the United States. Uh, so maybe state governments need to start stockpiling testosterone and um, estradiol and, you know, other trans-related uh, medications as well. And the thing is that, you know, cis people get gender-affirming care, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's many reasons why they would need, like, you know, treatments with hormones and things like that. So if they think yeah. that they are going to be spared and somebody else is going to be targeted so it's not their problem, that's very, very unwise. Yeah, it's it's really strange. I mean, to think how, okay, how are you going to enforce exactly who gets a prescription for estradiol? I mean, how do you prove it's not going to a, a, a you know, menopausal cis woman? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it all gets very weird. And I mean, I think they they're not opposed to trying to just do things in a completely discriminatory way. I mean, I'm pretty sure in the um, cases where, you know, um, young minors need puberty blockers for reasons unrelated to being transgender, like a pediatric endocrinologist in Florida can probably still prescribe that to them. But you make, it makes you wonder if there might be some extra scrutiny now and some reluctance to do that just in case someone's right. like, you're giving that kid gender-affirming Right, care. right. Especially when the laws are, like, vague, then it probably creates some fear and just general hesitance. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, I, I mean, we might end up seeing a sort of parallel situation that just occurs to me where, you know, in states where they have, strict abortion bans, but they have exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother, uh, a lot of times you can't really get one of those exceptions, or it's, like, extremely, yeah. extremely hard to jump through the hoops to get it. They're not widely available. Many people don't actually get the uh, abortion access and care that they, that they need because they can't jump through all the bureaucratic hoops to get those exceptions that exist on paper. Right, and none of this is fringe. That's what terrifies me. Like, you had Trump on the CNN town hall spouting, like, the most unhinged, like, conspiracy theories that Democrats want to, like, you know, do post-birth abortions and shit. Like... <laughs> I mean, yeah, we laugh, but it's so ridiculous and so horrifying that there are so many people yeah. who believe this. Or at least they'll pretend they do. I yeah. mean, and I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, I mean, from the time I, I was five or six and probably before, I mean, I just had it drilled into my head, right? Growing up in an evangelical, white evangelical family in Indiana, that, uh, you know, there are all these liberals out there murdering babies and we have to stop them. 
Like, that's the rhetoric that they've always used about abortion. Wildly irresponsible false rhetoric. And so I guess we shouldn't really be surprised that Republican presidential candidates now say things. And did you you fully believe that at some point? I... So phenomenologically, yes, I I did have that intellectual belief. I you know experienced myself as having that belief. Now, when you want to talk about false consciousness, it also it always gets really iffy, and that makes me uncomfortable. But you know, I do think that the reason those beliefs exist is uh, basically to to give uh, you know radical anti-choice people. A, um, a kind of a kind of proxy, uh, so that they can they can say what they really want is to stop people from murdering babies instead of saying like, and what I really want is you know discrimination or to keep white right. people you know wealthier and and better off than black people. But I do think it is a proxy for that, and it's always kind of hard to say what's happening unconsciously yeah. with people, even even yourself. I try to be very introspective and self aware. Yeah. Person. So, yeah, I certainly, my sense is that I fully believed it. And it was actually very, very hard for me to shake the belief. And maybe, and I mean, maybe one piece of evidence that I did really fully believe it is that um, I started voting for, for Democrats uh, before I was able to fully shake that belief. Oh. Um, because I, I was weighing it against other things and I stopped being a one issue voter, you mm. know. Um, and, and was open to that sort of, like, abortion gray rhetoric where, well, we all want to reduce the number of abortions that people have, so let's support, you know, comprehensive sex education and the availability of contraception and so forth. Um, that was a space that I kind of lived in for a while where I still thought that, yeah, abortion is ending life and that's bad, but, um, but I'm going to vote for Democrats anyway. And uh, so, I don't know, I think... I can't even pinpoint exactly though when I just really stopped believing it, but I finally started reading more about, you know, all the related sort of science of it and how many um, fertilized embryos just don't implant or whatever anyway. I mean, making God the sort of biggest, to use the rhetoric of the right, the biggest abortionist of all, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, all kinds of other things. And, uh, and, and then just fundamentally realizing that, yeah, like, you know, however far along a, a fetus is, like, why would it ever get to, you know, have priority over the life of the mother? Like, it doesn't really make sense. But it took me, it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you got there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I suppose people do often sincerely believe these things, but I think we're often not aware of the reasons that we believe things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it's good to look back and try to make sense of these things. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I can't get over, like, how bizarre this literal satanic panic is because they're bringing Satan into everything. And I saw Jordan Peterson tweet about some trans designer on Instagram. And, like, I think they had a... um, 
some illustrations where they're like, you know, Satan respects pronouns and whatever. Like, totally cool, cool <laughs> for, stuff. Yeah, and good for Satan. Yeah, hell. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a fan. He's a way better literary character than Jesus <laughs> or God. Absolutely. Hail Satan. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they are fucking serious. You know what I mean? Like, they are thinking that, like, libs are actually out there worshipping the devil and, you know, having some sort of cauldron party, making these crazy spooky spells and just, you know, trans and that children. That sounds fun. He does. <laughs> can, we, can we do that? Yeah, I no saw this, um, <laughs> this uh, a right winger tweet this like picture of like the the words Pride Month all smushed together like Pride Month Pride like as one one word mm-hmm. and they highlight like the end of Pride D E and month M O N D E M O N D demon 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 and it gets like more and more rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am here for the rainbow demons, to be honest. But uh, yeah, but yeah, but you bring up the satanic panic thing, and yes, I mean you're absolutely right. And um, it's, I mean, it is the 1980s and 1990s satanic panic. The same impulses are resurging now with QAnon conspiracies and yeah. that sort of thing, and all the Hollywood elites and the liberals and Democratic politicians are. Trafficking children, yeah. they're all pedophiles, and harvesting adrenochrome from the children so they can stay youthful, like vampires. And I don't know how you square that with like. So I heard this, you know, I, I unfortunately for one of my reported pieces that I did a while back, listened to this very long rant by a Proud Boys member, um, where he one of the things, one of the many unhinged things he screamed was, "Pedo Joe needs his uh, dose of adrenochrome." And um, I'm like, okay, so you think that he's like taking some hormone from kids so that he can stay youthful, but you also think he's like old and doddering and too old to be president. So, <laughs> which, which is, is it? it? Yeah, but yeah, you know they they bring up the demons and they demonize their enemies because it helps for cohesion of, of their movement. I mean, authoritarian movements they always need to target others, right, and internal enemies as well as external enemies. Um, and I think it's two sides of the same coin with the protecting children rhetoric, right? Which they're not mm. trying to protect children at all. And that's another thing that, you know, abortion is uh, gives, gives them the chance to, like, claim they're protecting children. As they also claim when they're banning books and banning trans health care and so forth. But, of course, it's really about control. It's never about... The children. Yeah. Children are and just this, a manipulation and, tactic, And this right? is why, quote-unquote, aborted babies are the perfect victim, yeah. because that are the perfect, you know, group for you to claim that you're protecting, because they can never, ever speak for themselves. Mm. It's perfect, right? They'll never talk back to you. It's literally impossible. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's why they rally so much around abortion, you know, on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And do they actually give a fuck about children? No, they don't. Do they care about them getting health care? Do they care about all the children in poverty? Hell, a lot of them are anti anti vaxxers, <laughs> and I mean, and I wish the media would give more fucks about children because generally, when they cover this stuff, they they only quote parents. They don't even quote, yeah, you know, even very self aware, articulate teenagers who could talk about this stuff. You know, they just don't. Yeah, yeah, but, no, they don't want. They are yeah. they are the people most affected, and I mean, we've been seeing um, youth in America really do some pretty sophisticated political organizing kind of ever since um, the Parkland shooting in Florida Mm -hmm. a few years back, right? 
uh, in Florida and some other states. I mean, kids have been organizing uh, walkouts from school to to protest for issues that they care about, gun violence, but not only. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, teenagers can be aware of a lot more than we give them credit for. And and yet, you know, all the New York Times wants to do is wring its hands about, oh, Ugh. these poor parents, these poor parents, their kids turned queer on them. And now, you know, they might, you know, get looked askance at in the cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I hear it from the rational atheists all the time. Like, you know, weren't they supposed to be on the side of science? Weren't they on the side of evidence and reason? And here they are joining hands with evangelical Christians on this anti-trans campaign, which is rolling back rights fully, not just for trans people, but for LGBTQ people in general. And, you know, bomb threats at drag shows and groups like Patriot Front showing up in riot gear. Yeah, I mean, there were about, there were 31 members of of them last year at the, um, you know, Pride event uh, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, getting ready to attack it. Yeah. And apparently someone called the police about all these guys in riot gear hiding in a U-Haul truck. And thankfully, the police actually arrested them, which is not something I think you can count on Yeah, in Idaho or many other parts of America. Yeah. So, you know, they they were stopped. But that, I mean, that would have been a bloodbath. And um, this year, we're likely to continue seeing escalation so hopefully for the most part it will consist of you know screaming and kind of harassing people as they walk down the street i mean that's terrible don't don't do those things right i'm not justifying those things but rather than actual physical violence against people but i it's it's a scary time to go to pride yeah yeah, and you look at the content put out by some of the biggest rational atheists, and you'd think that, you know, wokeness is the biggest problem out there, right? Wokeness, 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 wokeness. Everything is about wokeness. Yeah, and when they get people fired over, or, you know, when they get companies to back down from something, it's not cancel culture, apparently. It's only cancel culture when people on the left do it. Exactly. No, no. Them, like, uh, you know, breaking any kind of woke product that they have, tossing it in the trash, making videos endlessly. Yeah, it's just... Do you know, it's so strange how many of these people that accuse, like, LGBTQ people of being groomers, like, get caught in, like you know, having child porn or, you know, Mm -hmm. saying the creepiest shit about how, like, what was Matt Walsh saying? That, you know, women are most fertile? Was that him? Women are most fertile when they're teenagers. Just, like, gross, gross shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, dude, is this all projection? Right now, I'm going to start by just stating facts. So, fact number one, it's not a new phenomenon. Fact number two, in fact, it's a phenomenon that was more common earlier in history and for you know the first six to ten thousand years of human existence it was a normal thing uh fact three girls between the ages of like 17 and 24 is when they're technically most fertile yeah okay that's biological that's a fact all right i'm just stating facts that's all i'm doing but what happened recently and this is the, the fourth fact recently in the last 30 years or so we decided that that's way too young to start a family why 
And uh, because now we... Divorce rates would probably go up and... Once you're that young, you can't really make sure that well, you know. No, girls are no, 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 no. Girls were getting married early, and marriages were lasting longer. You very rarely hear about like these these relationships that go to their uh, what is it your diamond anniversary, your fiftieth anniversary, and all this. I, it, it's that's a dying breed of people out there. Yeah, and those all were all people that got married very young. That's why. That's why they're that's, still alive. Yeah, that's why you can have someone in their seventies who's celebrating their you know fifty-fifth uh, wedding anniversary because they got married when they were teenagers. So what I'm saying is that the problem is not per se teenage pregnancy it's unwed pregnancy that's the problem in society it's only problematic when 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 you are not married and you don't have the man there to help you take care of the kids because he's a coward i think i even saw like there's like a baby plushie that is being mm-hmm. sold on matt walsh's site like of of matt walsh as a crawling Coming. baby in a diaper with a pacifier what Okay, didn't exactly necessarily take him for, uh, you know, an adult baby diaper fetishist, but, you know, no kink shaming. Uh, Sometimes kink shaming is okay, I think. (laughs) Especially if your kink is being, you know, right-wing asshole. Well, if that's your kink, yeah, you have a a problem. I mean, you just need to go be a, a dom in a, you know, supportive community with consent being a big part of what you do, but, uh... Yes, many of them do not understand consent, like Jordan B. No. Peterson. You know, he also tweeted something about, uh, he, he tweeted a video about, like, adult diaper fetish, and they were like, oh, look, the LGBT activists are trying to add this kind of stuff, more letters to, uh, you know, to include these perverts. And it's like, dude, that's not an orientation. That is not an orientation. No one is going to add that to the acronym that is right. a fetish and you know and i am a bit you know like understanding toward people complaining about the alphabet getting too long i tend to just keep it to lgbtq sometimes right. my editors edit it to lgbtiq mm-hmm. but that's i mean another debate obviously yeah. uh, i also like queer as an umbrella term mm-hmm. but yeah Fetishes are not orientations, dude. No one's going to try to put them in the outfit. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> Jordy gets uh, fooled by any old, like, bullshit right-wing account. I think someone tweeted, like, um, dick-milking fetish porn at him, and... <laughs> He, he retweeted it, like, thinking this was, like, some grave injustice, like, happening in China where they're, like, milking, like, people's dicks and, like, extracting semen. And Oh, my God. Reminds me of that very, very tasteless uh, South Park episode where... Uh, Which one? <laughs> where Cart- well, yeah, where, um, like, Cartman is having these, like, visions of a, you know, scary future where we colonize Mars, but women are completely in control, and they only keep uh, men around for their sperm and to write jokes, because, of course, oh, it's South Park, so they're still run, running, run, running with women aren't funny, mm. right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Christopher Hitchens did that one, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, yeah, I'll, I think I was saying, um, you know, you look at any of these, uh, you know, rational atheists, and their content is basically, like, right. if you're looking at their content about LGBTQ stuff, it is in line 
with Republicans, in line with Tucker Carlson, in line with evangelical Christians. You know, the only yeah, problem it's, that it's, they're it's really concerned troubling. about is the left. And, you know, okay, Trump to some extent, but it, it's isolated to Trump is uncouth. You know, Trump is just, oh, he's not sophisticated. Yeah. It's not uh, that they and, and, dislike his politics or his policies or <laughs> they dislike that he's a buffoon. And then he says the quiet part out loud. Exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, I think all this anti-trans mania on, on the left, I think it has... I mean, obviously, we've seen the same patterns before. On the left. In, 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 yeah, in second, in, like, in, you know, um, second wave feminism mm. and, like, hardcore, old-school turf mm. feminism. People like Andrea Dworkin. I mean, there's literally a picture of her shaking hands with James Dobson, you know, the evangelical psychologist who was, like, the anti-Dr. Spock, right? The one who was like, no, spank all your kids, spank them very oh. hard. <laughs> yeah, James Dobson. I mean, anyone who grew up evangelical knows that name because he has this huge, like, media empire. He was on the radio all the time and stuff. And, and yeah, he wrote books with titles like Dare to Discipline. Um, Jeez! Very, very strict, you know, patriarchal, like, parental authority kind of approach to parenting, uh, of course. Um, and, and, yeah, Andrea Dworkin was willing to work with him because... She's, she was anti-trans and he was anti-trans. Mm. And, you know, we've seen this huge resurgence of, of that kind of, like, very white, um, very, I would say, imperial, you know, mm -hmm. feminism in, mm. in, in Britain, where they don't mm. seem to have a big intersectional movement. Mm. And uh, I've noticed that a lot of those British turfs identify as Marxists. And, what? and you know, and, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And it's... I mean, in the history of Marxism, it's not that weird, because um, for fairly orthodox Marxists, I mean, you reduce basically everything to social class, right? Mm. And so there's there are like Marxist arguments going back a long time that you know being gay is just you know it's bourgeois and it's false consciousness or whatever. So mm. this stuff has happened on the left before, and um, a lot of Marxists you know, have seen queerness as sort of bourgeois and not really necessary and maybe bad. Um, so in, in Britain, of course, you know, they're, they're arguing that, you know, being gay is fine, but being trans is not, and it's not even a real thing. Mm. Um, and I think some of that has been sort of exported from Britain to America, uh, where it is also taken seriously by some people who style themselves as progressive or something like that. Or very rational, you know. Mm. I'm just going to say, you know, hashtag not all Marxists, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it reminds me of, like, there's this uh, very IDW-esque guy called, I think his name is Ben, ben Burgess, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but, yeah, all his takes are very, like, <laughs> like something Joe Rogan would say. Like, you know... Um, <laughs> Worrying about the wokeness and complaining that anti-racists have gone too far or just really mm -hmm. annoying shit like that. Mm -hmm. And so I do see what you're saying. Yeah, it's this kind of like, you know, handshaking across seemingly stark ideological divides because you're actually both really conservative, at least on 
in terms of how you right, it's the anti anti id politics side of it right yes 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 exactly it's the people who are opposed to identity politics yeah yeah. Uh, on, on, on the you know, if you want to be respectable on the left, that's the way you put it. Yeah, yeah. that you're opposed to identity politics mm-hmm. because they're not rational or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just when you're you know being targeted based on your identity, you're going to at, at the very least talk back. So and su- surprise, if we get rid of identity politics, then the only identity that really gets you know the best treatment. Yeah. This is the one at the center of everything. The white man. Right, right, right. <laughs> huh. How did that happen? Yeah, funny how that works. Well, so again, it seems a, like you're all different. A, this, yeah, this is another idea that mm-hmm. everyone is playing identity politics. This, mm-hmm. com- this comes right out of Ezra's mouth, right? You know, it's like it's it's a sign of my white privilege that I think I'm not playing identity politics. It's only the it's only the other people who are playing identity politics. No, I think everybody's doing it. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, but I, I would deny that. I, I mean, what's my identity? I don't know. What is your identity? I, I, I don't have. I don't have one relevant to any political conversation. You know, another parallel that I've noticed, and I, I've, you know, I don't. I don't want to say that these two things are the same, but the way that trans people are being targeted currently online, especially, and how Muslims used to be targeted, like a few years mm-hmm. ago, it feels very similar to me because I've seen that so personally. Mm-hmm. Um, just especially in terms of like uh, kind of sexualizing them and turning them into these like that can't control themselves and they're coming after our women and our children. It's mm. like a white supremacist trope almost, you yeah, know? Somebody's always got to be coming for the women and the children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was, like, all this fear-mongering about Muslim migrants coming in, you know? And mm-hmm. it just, that 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 fear-mongering about them, like, oh, if you're going to let them in, they're going to rape our women. That seems so much like how they fear-monger about, like, trans women just yeah, wanting to yeah. go to the bathroom, for fuck's sake. Right. And it's funny, because, like, you know, I mean, obviously this is not really a thing that happens. Like, there's there's no evidence of of cis men putting on women's clothes to hide in bathrooms. I mean, you have to have a really twisted imagination to come up with, I mean, I guess you could sort of like extrapolate from like old Bugs Bunny cartoons where he dresses in drag to like, you know, trick <laughs> Elmer Fudd or the Tasmanian devil. But um, like, yeah, it just, it doesn't really happen. But, but what I also kind of realize about that is like a lot of these guys, yeah, it is projection and they're repressing parts of themselves mm. and they, they can't even like, you know, imagine transgender men. All they can imagine is men putting on dresses to be sneaky and deviant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when you like talk to them about transgender men, they're like, what? You mean like a, you mean like a man who puts on a no transgender men like what's that (laughs) (laughs) they literally get confused because they think this is only a thing where men want to be women (laughs) right and then they often validate the gender in the process of being confused too right so have you Uh, seen that where they're trying to be so transphobic that they actually correctly gender the person (laughs) out of (laughs) hatred Oh, lots of weird shit happens. Yeah, I mean, did you see that picture of um, Daniel Radcliffe with his girlfriend? I'm forgetting her name. And some turf, like, quote, tweeted it with, what do you see here? Basically saying that his girlfriend, who is cisgender, is, like, 
ugly and looks mannish, so she must be a trans man. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah. Which she was actually pregnant at the time. Like they're having a child. Look, um, and this is stuff that they would see <laughs> as misogyny one oh one, but now they just don't see it. Now they're reducing now women to yeah, just like right wingers, like like church ladies. I mean, they've become the mean girls. Yeah. So they start throwing around stuff just based on appearance in their anti-trans yeah. frenzy. Appearance and women are baby making machines and just like all this stuff that we thought that we had gotten past. <sighs> yeah, and 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 did you notice how this like this anti-LGBTQ sentiment? Escalating also coincided with the like anti CRT panic and kind oh, of yeah. like with the same tactics. There's that Chris Rufo guy who I think tweeted about how he wanted to make any discussion about race or racism or slavery so toxic by by attaching the term CRT to it mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. just gave away like his game so obviously that they don't actually even believe what they're saying they're just trying to make the discussion toxic so that people shy away from even daring to discuss or speak out about racism right and then they know they've got their well-organized right-wing foot, foot soldiers and groups like moms for liberty who yeah. will go to the local level and get school and get books about African Americans and Cuban Americans and whatever you know banned from school libraries. Right, right. And, oh, and the there same... was a fascinating piece that just came out in the Washington Post maybe like a week ago that it showed that like a, a majority of, of uh, complaints where where parents are flagging books and trying to get rid of these books across the United States and different school districts that like a majority of them come from I think people who have made. 10 or more complaints. Like it's very organized. A lot of them come from very, the the very same people. Uh, So most parents actually don't want to ban, even in like Florida, you know, or even kind of conservative parts of Florida probably don't want to ban every book on certain topics, but there are these fascists out there who go to the school board meetings and, and do the work and get things banned. Right, right. Uh, and, and yeah, it is all of, all of a piece with the, the anti-quote CRT panic. And Chris Rufo is also now a member of the uh, board at um, New College Florida. Right. Which was this kind of like queer haven, like liberal arts college, but it's a state college in Sarasota, Florida. And Ron DeSantis is transforming it into a right-wing Fucking you know, indoctrination center. Yeah, yeah. Some right. faculty have already been, you know, basically pushed Like out. It is bleeding into, you know, government and public life. It's not just, like, mm-hmm. a small movement. Yeah, no, DeSantis' attacks on, on schools and then, you know, the people who aren't necessarily part of government but are carrying out those attacks in Florida and elsewhere, um, this, this is very much, you know... An expression of, of, of fascism. This is a fascist movement. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Can't be said enough. And the, the same way that they did the, you know, let's make any discussion of race toxic, they also did the same tactic with mm-hmm. pride. Anything about pride, anything that has a rainbow on it, whether it's related right. or not, let's make rainbows toxic. We need to make that symbol toxic the pride flag symbol we need to make that toxic 
we need to have companies think twice about it. Everyone was talking about the, the Dylan Mulvaney incident as being harmful to the Bud Light brand. That's true. But more importantly, it was, it was harmful to the Dylan Mulvaney brand. Now, now other companies are going to think twice before sponsoring Dylan Mulvaney because they don't want to lose $6 billion in market cap in two days. That's what we got to do. And then once we make these things culturally toxic or as we're making these symbols culturally toxic, we've got to bring in the cavalry. We've got to come back in with more political force to ban some of this stuff. Don't back down now. The, the, the progress that conservatives have made on this just between 2021 and 2023, the fact that companies are trying to suppress these videos now, back off them, that shows we are winning. Keep pushing much, much harder. And don't forget the gag rules and, and like yeah. the don't say gay laws in schools, which in Florida has now officially been expanded to encompass all the way through high school, through the end of high school. So it was up through third grade initially, but, um, you know, people were probably going to apply it beyond that anyway. But now that's all moot. It's, it's uh, you know, throughout school, the don't say gay rules um, apply. So, yeah, they're trying to, to force uh, schools to conform exactly to their ideology. DeSantis has sworn that he can destroy the left in America yeah. if he becomes president. If I'm the nominee, I will beat Biden uh, and I will serve two terms and I will be able to uh, destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology on the dustbin of history. Uh, at the end of the day, I've shown in Florida an ability to win huge swaths of voters that Republicans typically can't win while also delivering the boldest agenda anywhere in the country. And, and the way that they're forcing all these institutions to support one extreme ideology, an ideology that provides for enemies to be to be targeted. Uh, I'm going to use a German word. You know, it's 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 Gleichschaltung. Basically, it's American Gleichschaltung. And Gleichschaltung basically means switching so everything is the same. I mean, if you pick apart the German roots, and it is the Nazi term for bringing, you know, everything uh, in the Reich. Uh, into conformity with the state's ideology. That's mm. happening mm. in America. And just the parallels with how they burnt down that, um, was it, clinic uh, that right. was doing research on gender. And yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. That was the, one of the first targets of Nazi activists. Yeah, that's fucking terrifying stuff. And then now we're talking about Nazis. Let's talk about uh, Michael Knowles, who's been saying some really fucking blatantly fashy, openly genocidal sounding stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you know Michael Knowles from uh, Daily Wire, I believe? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't read him often. Good. <laughs> but I have <laughs> come across him, yes. <laughs> but, you know, he said he want, he you know, wanted to eradicate transgenderism, whatever that is, transgenderism, right. from public life. Right. And, um, you know, of course that means eradicate transgender people, and, right? But right. They can play the semantic bullshit. When we said that, he was like, well, no, I don't want to eradicate the people. Exactly. You just want to, force them to, to not be themselves, so that's kind of the same thing. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If transgenderism is true, if men really can become women, then it's true for everybody of all ages. If transgenderism is false, as it is, 
If men really can't become women, as they cannot, then it's false for everybody too. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it. Especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs of so many people. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. And that's another thing that reminds me of the overlap with how Muslims were targeted, right? Because you'd always hear, especially in the atheist scene and perhaps uh, the right as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that Islam must be eradicated or whatever, like from the more reactionary types, Islam right. must be eradicated. And then when people would be like, what the actual fuck, man? They say, no, 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 I don't mean like Muslims. Yeah, I'm not anti-Muslim. I'm just anti-Islam. Oh. Okay, so what does that mean? Just think, think that through. <laughs> How are you going to do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are many people in the atheist movement who love to make huge, grandiose sort of statements about eradicating religion, but they sure love to say it specifically about Islam for a long time there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, religion, as it should be, is uh, one of the categories explicitly listed in the UN Genocide Convention as something that can be uh, the focus of uh, targeted for, for genocide. Um, We've and seen it from, happen before, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're seeing it happen right now mm. with. Um, the Rohingya Muslim mm-hmm. population, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in Myanmar, and, um, um, and and for most people in the world, like religion is just intimately tied up with their ethnicity, right? So, and, mm-hmm. and most religions are at least to some extent, you know, ethno religions, and even the ones with universal pretensions, or where you know the predominant factions have universal pretensions, which would technically be Islam and Christianity, and I don't really know if there are any others that really, you know, want, at least if you take all the claims seriously, historically, that people have made, they kind of want world domination, right? But most individual practitioners of those religions do not, and they know. Right, right. Um, But even for most, for most Christians and Muslims, though, it's really, it's just tied up with your ethnicity, your family, your community. Uh And so it makes perfect sense to me that uh, religion would be something that can be targeted for genocide, and we should we should, you know, consider it that, you know, it's a thing that's often just kind of like a community identity fire and a set of rituals that centers people and it's meaningful to them. Right. So I get mad when atheists want to eradicate, you know, either all religion or Islam or whatever. <laughs> right. And as an atheist yourself, right? Just in case yes, the audience, yes. the audience doesn't know, like that is correct. I'm an atheist. <laughs> both atheists <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we have no problems criticizing the more extreme among the community, which is what people always said to do. But somehow when it comes to looking inward, the atheist community is not so great. Really bad at it. And maybe, you know, some of uh, parts of it are getting a little bit better. I, I like to have hope. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I think, I, I think I see that in certain organizations more than others. Right, right, right. There's definitely pockets and more people, um, standing up for, 
progressive values and things like that nowadays, especially when so many things are under threat, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, when I address atheist organizations, as I do fairly frequently, and I'll be giving a talk for um, Secular Arizona on Friday, I, I do like to bring this message of like, pluralism, inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, building bridges around shared values. So sometimes that means working with religious people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, de facto, I think we're seeing more of that, too. There's been a whole lot of collaboration between the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious mm-hmm. Liberty with atheist organizations recently and, mm. you know, figuring out how to strategize about, like, fighting Christian nationalism. I think mm-hmm. that's a positive That's a positive thing. Absolutely. Like, you know, that's one of my biggest complaints of, uh, you know, the online atheist movement or new atheism, whatever you want to call it. Like, there could have been a movement that was out there standing up and pushing back against, like, this mad wave of Christian fascism, nationalism, whatever you want to call it, right now, you know, instead of talking mm-hmm about how wokeness broke the New York Times, which it absolutely fucking didn't. <laughs> no, the New York Times is, I mean, the last thing I would ever describe it as is woke. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just, like, goes to show how uh, strangely calibrated someone's political compass is. But. So when you ask, why is the New York Times broken? It is broken by wokeness, above all else. It's broken by identity politics. It's broken by a disposition to believe accusations of racism or sexism or transphobia wherever they are uttered, to believe these things uncritically. I mean, I just saw a headline today, and I haven't read the article yet, so I have no idea what this is about, but apparently some conservatives are even, like, finding Chick-fil-A to quote Yes! Now. I saw that! <laughs> I'm going to read that article after the show because I... I need to know what this nonsense is about. I mean, the last I heard is that Chick-fil-A was the homophobic sandwich place. But right. I guess... they, love to, they love to go there, and everyone else goes to Popeye's. Right. It's not just left-wing. It is far left. It is gross and disgusting, and we should condemn it. And I don't want to hear from it. I, I, there, there have been some conservatives, even ones that I respect, who have said, well, look, we don't want to... You know, we don't want to, um, uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good and all that, and Chick-fil-A is generally on our side, so let's not go after them. Yeah, they have a DEI initiative, but who cares? Yeah, they're, they're you know, doing programs to help everybody except for white men. They're singling white men. White men, get on your knees and shine the shoes of a black man. We're not going to help you. Yeah, they're doing all that, but otherwise they're good. No, I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a tired slogan at this point, but it is true to say, um, this is why we lose. It's because of that kind of attitude. We got to stop making exceptions. We really wanted some Chick-fil-A, but because they decided to hire a diversity, equity, and inclusion corporate position and also bow down to the woke lords. In Chick-fil-A, you are no longer the Lord's chicken. You're actually the woke chicken. And I'm really upset about it as a Christian woman. All we wanted was some good fried chickens. <laughs> but now even they're too woke. And apparently Fox has pride merch too, so they're too woke. Um, well, Fox, Fox weirdly has like internal anti-discrimination policies that call <laughs> its employees to respect pronouns. Oh. And uh, I happened to come across this because I was uh, you know, reading uh, Matt Walsh the other day or listening to a Matt Walsh broadcast as one unfortunately does when one researches the radical right. And, you know, it turns out even Fox is too, quote, woke for him because they 
they insist that people who work for them respect other employees' pronouns. Now, I want to find any trans people who work there and sort of shake them and be like, what the fuck are you doing? But, you know, if they work there, they're, they're at least supposed to have their pronouns respected. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's right-wing trans people, too, strangely oh, enough. I know. But I know. Just like there are right-wing immigrants and people of color but, and you know. every minority under the sun, unfortunately. I'm going to go out on a limb, though, and guess that Dylan Mulvaney doesn't even like Bud Light. I mean, what self-respecting trans girl drinks Budweiser right. or anything? <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta take a paycheck, though, right? Like, <laughs> but if uh, I were if I were better at just taking paychecks, I, I would probably be better off than I oh, am. Oh fuck, man! Me too. Me man, too. Fucking, fucking principles. I could have done that uh, ex-Muslim grift, <laughs> and uh, you know, had the like largest platforms and book deals and tripled my Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it's not that Bud Light or Target or always or anyone really gives a fuck. But it is, you know, it, it was something that I, again, took for granted. Like, okay, so this is a more beneficial position for them as a company, so they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'd like for them to uh, be more genuine, but they're a corporation, so I don't really have high expectations. Right. It's empty, it's hollow, it's shallow, it's all of that. But now that mm-hmm. it is actually being threatened, like you suddenly, or at least I realize that a world where they're out there, you know, normalizing things for minorities is so much better a place than a world where they are being intimidated by fascists and pulling back. And that that world where they're normalizing queerness is now seriously under threat in the United States. Um, and, And to see that change in real time so quickly yes. is, is really frightening. And I mean, you know, with everything that's been going on and you talked about this at the beginning, how it's just, it's a really scary time. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm scared. And every trans person that I know is really scared. And a lot of us are really fighting for our mental health right now and are not able to be as productive as we mm-hmm. usually are, even if we're living in solidly blue states. Because it feels like people are coming for us because they are. Yeah, I can't imagine. Just like, just the kind of rhetoric you would see every day on TV, on on publications that should do better than both sides, a serious issue like this. On social media, everywhere you go, it's, you can't get away from it. And it, yeah. I mean, it hurts me, so I can't imagine. I'm so sorry, honestly. Yeah, thanks. I, I feel more and more like my own writing is a kind of shouting into the void. Yeah, but. no, it's. I'm so glad that you're doing it and that you're documenting this shit and you're putting your voice out there, being heard, and... Oh, like, some of the stuff they're saying is so unhinged. It's like, I don't know who and how people are buying this. Like... And Genevieve can shed some light on this phenomenon that, that, frankly, as I've said on the show, I don't even want to look into because I 
have been told and I've read on different fora that talk about this phenomenon that there is a kind of pornography that is apparently a driver of the transgender identity that is so perverse that it it constitutes a kind of hypnosis where men will say, I was a normal guy, I lived to be 41, 42, and I was basically normal, but then I fell into this kind of pornography, and it essentially melted my brain. I had a nervous breakdown. Now I think that I'm a woman. So rather than have to expose myself to that, and then, you know, I have to go to confession, potentially my brain gets melted, I can just talk to Genevieve about it. Genevieve, thank you for coming on the show. Among all of the types of pornography that lead to transgenderism, what is this hypnosis pornography? Well, you touched on a good point there. There are many types of pornography that are sort of involved with the transgender movement. Um, but hypnosis pornography is a little bit different in that it incorporates your lifestyle. I saw a clip of Michael Knoll saying, demons are almost always trans. There's no hyper-masculine depictions or beautiful women depictions. They're always androgynous. Firstly, he doesn't know what trans means. It certainly <laughs> doesn't mean androgynous. And secondly, is he... What kind of... What is he talking about? There are loads and loads of demon depictions with, like, massive torsos and muscles and, you know, big boobs and... Right. There are some very muscular, clearly male demons and clearly female demons out yeah. there. Demonic figures are always androgynous. They're never super-duper hyper-masculine chads. They're never beautiful, truly gorgeous women with classical proportions and representations of beauty. They're always androgynous. They're always trans. And the reason for that is that the devil hates human beings. And sexual difference is at the basically at the very core of human nature. But I mean, I think that that kind of like tradition of, you know, representing the demonic as something that, that occupies a sort of non-binary or liminal or in-between space is kind of awesome to get again to me honestly. Yeah, no, no, I know, I, know, I hear you. Uh, whatever oh they're God, trying oh to God. say to scare people is, uh, you know, sounding pretty cool to us, but... <laughs> There's this incredibly weird guy on YouTube, this Catholic, right-wing, white, bearded, old man weirdo, who calls himself the third eagle of the apocalypse, which I guess that makes sense in the way that he understands himself prophetically, but he did this whole YouTube video breaking down a commercial uh, for, I can't remember which mayonnaise it was. Was it Miracle Whip, maybe? But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the commercial was called Stacy's Deviled Eggs, and, you know, he reads so much into this, <laughs> including how, how Stacy is represented as kind of androgynous in the commercial, <laughs> which is, of course, what, how, what demons are like. So according, according to him, like mm. it was like the best thing ever. Like, this, this video just cracked me up. Oh, if only the world was as demonic and satanic and maybe we wouldn't have so many <laughs> Christian fascies all over the place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, I also heard of this new thing that I didn't, uh, I haven't heard about this before, but like messianic Jews that are not Jews Sorry. at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of them don't even have Jewish ancestry. Yeah. Some do, some don't. Yeah. So like, you know, what I was reading about was talking about it as an 
evangelical movement. Like, they call themselves, like, rabbis and stuff, but they are, like, Jews for Jesus. Yeah, it was was that kind of quote-unquote rabbi that Mike Pence uh, invited to an, uh, an event that was responding to the Tree of Life synagogue shooting a few years ago. Oh. Um, huge insult to the Jewish community. Right, by him right. Doing, doing that. By the way, I just dropped in the chat for you this YouTube video called Bible Prophecy in Stacy's Deviled Eggs. Oh. Do yourself a favor. Watch that. <laughs> I mean, it's just laugh out loud funny all the way through. Oh, thank you. I will uh, definitely watch that and clip it. And now let's take a look at this interesting and prophetic television commercial called Stacy's Deviled Eggs. Here we see Stacy dressed in red and black like Satan sharpening her knife and preparing deviled eggs, of course. By the way, please count the number of deviled eggs. She then takes the deviled eggs to a church get-together in order to seduce the members of the church. Although she does not fool two of the women, she does fool two of the men, including the pastor of the church. Now, it should be obvious that Stacy is at least a witch with her black fingernail polish. But her name is almost an acronym for Satan. It has two syllables, and three of the letters are identical. And later on in the video, we see that Stacy looks quite masculine. She has another characteristic of Satan, and that is that he is androgynous. In fact, Stacy looks somewhat like a transvestite. And did you happen to count the number of deviled eggs? Well, there are 16 of them. And 16 is not really an end times number. I mean, you could add 6 plus 1, which gives you 7, but that's not really satanic. 16 devil eggs are made from 8 whole eggs. But 8 is also not really a number associated with evil. But if you understand that you count eggs by the dozen, that is by the number 12, and you realize that eight twelfths of a dozen is two-thirds of a dozen, then we indeed do have a number for the Antichrist. Because two-thirds represents man over God and yields the decimal point six six six. You know, these Christian cranks are, are good for a laugh sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes you need that comic relief in this world. But, um, yeah, I saw a clip of this messianic rabbi that was saying that uh, when Biden lit up the White House in rainbow colors in 2022, he handed the nation over to an ancient goddess, and now we are under demonic possession. Like, what is their fucking <laughs> obsession with... The rainbow. And you know what she was the goddess of? Sexual licentiousness, sexual immorality. Her ancient hymns declare that she has the power to turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man. She's the goddess that bends up sexuality, blurs, merges gender. She breaks the line. She breaks the distinction between man and woman, male and female, boy and girl. It is this spirit which is now taking possession of our culture. And on the day that you redefine marriage, you place her sign on the nation's highest house. 
the White House, the sign of the goddess. You were, in effect, placing the nation into her hands, her ownership, her possession, a demonic possession. You call yourself a Christian, but you took the sacred sign of God, the sign he gave of mercy instead of judgment, and turned it against him on the White House. Oh my god. And, and, and like the, the Pentecostal and spiritual warfare believing people and charismatic Christians. I mean, sometimes you don't even have to be that charismatic in terms of like the charismatic movement, right? Where they believe in speaking in tongues and all that stuff to, to believe in the demon possession stuff. Right, right, like right, they, right. They, they, they believe that demons are. So people who, who believe in spiritual warfare in this Christian framing, like specifically, I think Protestant for the most part, framing, like they literally believe that demons, based on some passages in Paul about powers and principalities, you know, are assigned to geographic locations that <laughs> they're supposed to, to dominate and control for Satan. Like, you know, they don't oh, think Prince of Persia is just a, it's just a video game. They think there's a Prince of Persia who is a demon. <laughs> I mean, really, that's one that they bring up. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so supposedly, if you uh, you know do certain things, like it will it will let the demons in. It will let the demons have influence over you. Um, so yeah, lighting up the White House in pride colors. If you think if you think uh, queerness is demonic and pride is demonic, then you see that as uh, inviting you know the, who, whoever the satanic prince is supposed to be for the United States or Washington D.C. Or I don't know how I don't know what it works. I don't know how many dioceses they have. <laughs> Uh, you know, then then takes power. Whereas when uh, people are living like Christians are supposed to live and praying and blah blah blah, you know, then then God has control, and you can't have a neutral space, any like space. And they and they really map this thinking like onto the world, like in the background, like everything we do is affected by demons and angels fighting each other. It's really absurd. Right. And with all this, you know, rhetoric of God and demons and like you see that they really do believe that they're like engaged in this yeah. holy war almost, it's right? Some serious LARPing. So, yeah. and, and these are the people who hate D&D. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you, um, you know, if you kick God out of a place, in, the, in this way of thinking, then the demons come in and take over. Like, territory either belongs to God or it belongs to the devil who has his appointed princes for different mm. places. There's no in-between. No Nothing in belongs to humans, you'll notice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we just have that's to a... either submit to God or we will be under the control of demons. Oh my God, that's such a stressful way to live, though. Oh, it is. Oh. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chrissy, it's been so much fun uh, chatting with you about uh, all this. almost makes it feel like less scary because we can laugh about it, but I don't want to minimize how serious and horrifying any of this is. Oh, and me either. I do want to ask you, though, what can people do? Like, especially, like, cis, het people, what is a good thing to do right now? How can we help and show solidarity? And Well, I mean, it really helps to show up at uh, school board meetings, uh, to vote in, in, in local elections, to, to show up. You know, when Moms for Liberty is, is organizing to target a group, it would be great if people would organize on the other side so that, you know, mm. it's, it's, diffi it's difficult because, you know, these are rich white women who have nothing better to do, mm -hmm. right? But um, showing up for, for those local fights uh, really 
keeping on your uh, not just you know your representatives and senators in Washington, but your state uh, representatives and senators and calling their offices. Um, I'll tell you, the right wing is very good at getting that done. So yeah. the more we counter it, the the better. And you know, try to stand up for trans folks mm-hmm. and other queer folks in conversation. Uh, you know, if you hear ridiculous ac- accusations of grooming or, or whatever, um, push back. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that rhetoric, too. I mean, we definitely saw it in the 80s and 90s. And I was looking back at some stuff about the satanic panic recently, by the way. And mm-hmm. I don't have data on this. I don't know if anyone has added up all the numbers. But it's definitely enough of, uh, to raise eyebrows. Like, many of the people who were falsely convicted of child sex abuse in the 80s and 90s, often of satanic ritual abuse, and then were later exonerated, were indeed queer. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, there was some scapegoating going on oh, there. Look up the San Antonio Four. That's a very interesting case. Um, but, uh, yeah, and and that's, that's happening again. And then as now, it was a projection to avoid looking at... Um, you know, uh, abuse and problems in, in their own communities. Right. And it means of just perpetuating authoritarian control over children in right. society. And another thing that uh, triggered it at that time, I believe, was like women starting off in the workforce, right? And so mm-hmm. that was yeah, the fear yeah, yeah. that, uh, you know, mothers are no longer with their children. And so that's why their kids are like being attacked by like devil worshippers and daycares and things like that. Right. That's why daycares became a major center of these false accusations. Right. Um, Not that daycares were super well regulated back then and that there was never any abuse, but, you know, the um, accusations of satanic ritual abuse, I mean, boiling babies and making them eat them or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No, no no physical evidence of any of them ever, ever right and so like you know a few years ago if i were to listen to a podcast about that i'd think wow you know the 80s were wild like how did people believe that bullshit but it's happening now right in front of us you know and you know Mm -hmm. to the audience you guys might think that you know we were talking in a very north america centric way but like if something happens in America, I know it very quickly comes to Canada, too. Not that we don't have our own problems to begin with as well, with racism, homophobia, transphobia, all of that. I don't want to minimize that. But when it does happen in America, it seems to be amplified as well. And definitely... You've definitely got your evangelical contingents up there. whole bunch of them in Alberta, I've noticed. Mm, our Texas... Yes. <laughs> Never been. I've only been to Ontario. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all right, though. We we have a horrible dude in charge right now, but won't get into yeah. Ontario-specific politics with you. Now that I'm in Oregon, though, I really want to go to British Columbia sometime. Oh, yeah, but, me too. Uh, anyway, that's another tangent. <laughs> another, another thing that... Um, <laughs> that had allies can do is to push back on these corporations too. tell them that you don't want yes. them to cave. Tell them, tell them that you do want queer people represented in, in advertising, in the merchandise. Absolutely. Like, you know, capitalism sucks and we still need to win at capitalism. Well, if we're in it, yeah. Otherwise we're going to be, we're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I hope that, um, you know, are you, are you going to refrain from going to any pride events or are you not going to let that? I think, I think this year, my chosen sister and I are probably going to go to, um, the parade here in Portland. Um, and you know, I think I wouldn't deter people from going. I would say take precautions and use your best judgment and, you know, decide for yourself. I, I have actually heard people here locally talking about, you know, I used to march in the parade and this year I don't even know if I want to go. Like people are having those conversations. Mm-hmm. I just, I had that conversation with the random neighbor on the street. I'm torn because I want to be defiant and out there. And also pride is just usually just really uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, definitely. but do be aware that any pride event could be targeted yeah. and you don't know how, by what exactly or mm-hmm. by whom. Mm-hmm. So I think you're likely to meet more opposition than the usual two or three angry street preachers with their ginormous banners condemning you to hell. You know, those guys are just absurd and easy to laugh at. Um, but this time, you know, they're, especially if you're going to like a drag event, um, mm-hmm. there's probably going to be people a lot less pleasant than the angry street preachers mm-hmm. screaming and getting in your face. You know, now that you've mentioned angry street preachers with banners, one thing I just did want to mention before I let you go is how strange, or maybe not strange actually, how sad it is that, um, what's her name, Megan Phelps, the ex-Westboro Baptist Church mm-hmm. member, and she did that J.K. Rowling witch trials podcast yeah highly she's like uh, sam harris's protege Um, very disappointing like you know i have been observing her for a few years and kind of disappointed by her like so long ago because she was very early on the barry weiss train the anti-anti-racism train and it's just like fuck man you left that to get roped back into another type of bigotry, another type of uh, reactionary ideology. It's just so disappointing. It, it is. It's also really easy to do. And I think that a lot of times when people leave something oppressive, they don't realize how much work they, they need to do to stop replicating the same pattern. Mm. And I hope that, and I, and I mean, I'm sure that she grew up in a very tightly controlled information environment. Mm-hmm. So not to justify her behavior, but I'm hoping that someday she's going to see it. She's going to come around. She's going to learn to, you know, break with not just the thing, uh, but the patterns. I hope so. Because right now she seems fully uh, involved in the uh, mm-hmm. Barry Weiss, Sam Harris cult. Yeah. And she may not, you know, she may not understand how she's, she may not ever come to understand how she's replicating same kind of patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, some people do, some people don't. Well, especially but, when um, you get to a, a group that specializes in self-congratulation on how rational they are. Yes. And, and see, this is the problem that I have that, you know, I think we often have in religious communities, but also in the atheist community, is that everyone, a lot of times people think that just believing the right things, even if the right thing is to not believe, right, in God, um, 
it, it gives you a shortcut to being a good person, or which in atheist, mm. you know, discourse is often coded as being supremely irrational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You just you stop believing in God. Obviously, you're smarter than everyone else, and that makes you superior, and that makes you perfectly good mm, at yep. judging morality. Right. And people who believe that they have the right religion also believe they have a shortcut to being a good person. Yeah. And what you have to learn is that there are no shortcuts to being a good person. Right. There's always work to do. And a whole lot of it involves listening and learning from people who have di- had different life experiences from you. Uh, so, you know, some people want to skip straight to the self-congratulation and don't get me wrong. When you have broken with a very oppressive system, you deserve some of that. Yeah. But you can't, you can't stop there and live there and be like, I have arrived yes. at the status of ultimate good person because now I don't believe in God. Therefore I am supremely smart <laughs> and therefore I am supremely moral. Cause that makes sense. See, that's a perfectly logical syllogism right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, give yourself a pat on the back, but remain teachable, remain self-reflective and introspective, remain open to criticism. Right. Excellent. We'll leave it there. All right. Take care, Chrissy. Thank you so much. You too, Ina. Thank you. Happy Pride. Thanks. Happy Pride. Bye. Bye. All right, so my next guest is Chris Stedman, author, activist, podcaster, and professor. Is there anything he cannot do? (laughs) Many things. (laughs) Many, many things. Hi, how are you? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Uh, uh, Well, definitely one of the biggest things I can't do is, like, cook at all. My cooking is uh, functional, but, you know, definitely wouldn't impress anyone. So we can start there. (laughs) That's okay. I am not, uh, you know, having dinner with you, so I'll be all right. I'm just talking to you. I'm sure we'd have fun, though, if we had dinner. Maybe just someone else should cook. (laughs) Absolutely. Someday. (laughs) So it's been a while. You've been on the podcast before, and last time you were on, we were talking about your Vice article on how too many atheists were veering to the alt-right and you yeah. know i don't really keep tabs on the atheist scene so i'm gonna need you to tell me what happened <laughs> <laughs> uh it's so funny because actually that is um that was kind of you know the last thing that i really wrote about atheism um which at the time i was kind of thinking that way so i had written this piece um at the invitation of the washington post i think like maybe six months earlier kind of reflecting on why i i I kind of felt like i wasn't really interested in writing about atheism anymore online and um after i wrote that or as i was writing it i found myself thinking you know there's really is sort of one more thing i want to say if this is if this is kind of it at least for the time being um i there i do want to sort of talk about this you know shift toward the alt right that i was and many other people were seeing um and so yeah that was that was really kind of the last thing that i wrote and you know it's not that i don't keep any tabs on what's going on in movement atheism or online atheism. You know, I have made a lot of friends from my years in those spaces. Um, I follow still a lot of people who are connected to those spaces, but I definitely do feel a little bit more disconnected than I used to, um, or much more so than I used to. But ironically, the, the kind of one of the 
biggest ways that I am sort of reminded of online atheism or movement atheism is through some of the stuff that I think we're going to talk about today, which is, um, you know, some of these folks who kind of got their start in movement atheism and online atheism and have kind of really shifted toward, toward being, you know, much more focused on, you know, sort of quote unquote wokeism, mm. anti LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see their names coming up kind of in those spaces and, you know, I'm like, Hey, I remember that person. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so. You're talking about, like, Andy No and... Mm-hmm. James Lindsay. James Lindsay. Yeah. The yes. Absolute irony of, like, rational atheists who used to talk about, like, how um, we shouldn't let Muslim immigrants in because they were too homophobic as a whole. <laughs> I know. Now, no, it's been... <laughs> joining, like, all the... Yeah. It's really been wild to see some of these people who were... When I was, you know, really involved in online and movement atheism, it was kind of in the days of the, like, you know, accommodationist versus confrontationalist wars. Mm. <laughs> and um, a lot of the people who were on the, you know, quote-unquote confrontationalist side, you know, who, you know, they would sort of look at folks like me, James Croft, who was on when uh, yeah. the last time I was on, mm-hmm. who, you know, have been involved in, you know, sort of interfaith work, mm-hmm. um, who have advocated for it, they would kind of, you know, criticize us as being too sort of soft on religion. We shouldn't work with religious people on anything. We should be trying to oppose religion. Now, a lot of those folks are, you know, appearing on panels (laughs) alongside, you know, hardcore evangelical Christians um, and, you know, are doing things that you could very much call interfaith just in a very (laughs) different way. (laughs) Just like uh, interfaith bigotry, like, Exactly. And it just feels so ironic to see that, you know, so these, some of these folks were the ones who were kind of the most hardline against ever, you know, sort of interacting with religious people in any sort of capacity. Yeah. And now are, you know, collaborating with them in, in these really, yeah, horrific ways. Yeah. Like, uh, how do you think... Like, do you think that whole, like, veer towards the right, or, you know, what we used to call the alt-right, which is now just the far right, and was then too, but, like, do you think that that shift just naturally led into them kind of joining hands with religious fundies like how yeah i mean i think it some of it kind of ties back to some of what we were talking about that all the way back in 2018 um when you know we were talking about that vice piece um you know sure there's some demographic overlap between movement atheism and online atheism and these uh. you know sort of far-right, white supremacist movements, et cetera, you know, both tend to be younger, more white, you know, more male than the general public. But, you know, one of the arguments that both I and and James Croft were kind of making at that time was that there's more to it than that, that there's also this sort of kinship between people who, you know, new atheism, which was very much about sort of confronting taboos, you know, seeing themselves as kind of the the final people willing to say what no one else will say, even mm. if it's unpopular. I think for some of those folks, really, that was kind of what drew them into new atheism more than it was a kind of principled, actual principled stance against religion or yes. for rationality or anything Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. 
and they've just sort of followed the currents from, you know, there to, you know, now instead of their target being religion, it's, um, you know, quote unquote, wokeism and LGBTQ people and all of that. Um, and so I think for them, it was, it was always much more about that ethos than it actually was about, you know, having real sort of principled positions on these things. Yeah, I mean, and and you see that on the right a lot, right? Like, it doesn't seem to matter to them if they're blatantly hypocritical. Like, I believe it was Ted Cruz recently who was criticizing that punitive, awful, horrific law in Uganda, mm -hmm. where he was you know, rightfully calling it horrific and wrong. And then he got, like, roasted in his Twitter comments. Like, he got called too woke, <laughs> a gay globalist, and, like, all sorts of, like, things. And uh, obviously that's the audience he's built for himself. But, sure. like, it's so on brand because it was the year before that that he voted against the bill to codify same-sex marriage protections. Right. And, uh, yeah, you just see that. That, like shameless hypocrisy a lot on the right so it would make sense that you see it in right-wing atheists too yeah absolutely and again you know i think for some of these folks it's not really ha about having any sort of like convictions or anything it's really just about wanting to kind of feel you know marginalized in some way or to feel like they're kind of pushing back on this oppressive force uh that has you know, gone too far and equality. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in, <laughs> I think the new atheists saw, um, you know, they, they were, while their criticisms were directed at religion, really a lot of what they were kind of reacting against was what they saw as like quote unquote multiculturalism going too far. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I remember Sam Harris, uh, yes. you know, being very critical of, um, you know, because I, I, I had written this piece all the way back in, I want to say, 2011, um, where, you know, he had argued that we should profile, quote, Muslims mm. and anyone and anyone who looks like, you know, they could conceivably be Muslim is kind of how he mm -hmm, put it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I had written this response to him and then he um, he wrote this response to my piece. And I remember him saying in in his response something like, this is an example of like the well-meaning liberal who and basically, you know, he was kind of saying like, oh, his heart's in the right place, but, you know, he's he's misguided. And it's this idea of kind of misguided multiculturalism, quote unquote. Hmm. And it's so easy to see how that sort of moves from religion to these other facets of identity where they see people as having sort of, quote, gone too far. And I, I see this all the time on Twitter because one of the things that I've been trying to speak about a little bit here and there online is this quote unquote LGB without the T mm, movement. Yes, so yes. this movement to kind of estrange trans folks from the lesbian, gay, bisexual parts of the uh, mm -hmm. queer community. And that's like one of the big sort of when I've spoken on that every, every time, it always I always end up getting just the most, you know, obnoxious trolls <laughs> replying to me. And that's one of the refrains I keep seeing is like, you know, the movement's just gone too far. You know, we were fine with letting them have this or that, but now it's, you know, it's, it's gotten out of hand. And, mm. um, and again, I feel like that I remember sort of seeing echoes of that. Um, 
the Bud Light thing with Dylan Mulvaney. They've lost 20-plus billion dollars. You imagine you're just going to send a can to some confused person that uh, day 365 of womanhood and you send that person a can with their face on and your company loses 20 billion dollars that is wild man so we're seeing that now but we never saw that before where people are going enough right enough stop shoving this down everybody's throat when i go to target i don't want to see like yeah tuck pants where you like they're designed to help you tuck your like hey that's not normal and i don't want that right in front of everybody are hearing echoes of that and we still do hear that kind of refrain when it comes to muslims uh i remember you were sending you sent me that story today maybe you want to say a little bit about it but this idea that multiculturalism quote-unquote goes too far when it allows people to be muslim in this specific way or something like that yeah so it was basically like this clip from a, a canadian teacher like we've been having organized walkouts from like religious organizations catholic religious organizations organizations joining hands with like you know um conservative muslims and like basically parents just organizing to boycott pride in a way mm-hmm. and you know it's been celebrated in schools for like years and years and years here and i'm sure there have been bigoted incidents like this but it seems extra this year uh, absolutely and, and like energized by what's happening in the states, by the bills in the states, by the fear mongering around CRT and the anti-trans mm-hmm. hate, and um, I can see like in the comments of like you know uh, conservative Muslim posts about this, like people citing Matt Walsh and stuff, and it's like fuck, right? You don't want these two groups to be joining forces because that is just horrifying right and um so basically it was this teacher in a school that was shouting at some muslim kids i guess they had missed a pride event and i completely understand the anger the frustration and also the message that you know like i think it's okay to teach kids that look if you want people to respect your differences then you have to also respect other kinds of people that are different from you and I think there's like much more sensitive and kinder ways to give that message to children rather than singling out like Muslim kids and making them stand in front of the classroom and being like, well, people were here for when we talked about Ramadan. You gotta, you know, if you right. want to. Especially when, you know, you look at sort of who are the people who are most actively like, you know, rolling back and re- and restricting, you know, rights and freedoms for queer people, you know, certainly in the U.S. It's exactly. not, and Canada it's not too. conservative Muslims, you know. They don't have that kind of power. And it was even right. here, it was like the Catholic school board. Uh, it was a particular Catholic school that refused to raise the flag. It was another Catholic school where uh, I think someone compared like the pride flag to the Nazi flag, just like ridiculous stuff like that. And then it's been like a Catholic organization that's been organizing these walkouts. Of course, there have been Muslims that have been participating as well. Uh, Nobody's denying that there's homophobia within Muslim community. And I am a huge advocate of that being addressed. Absolutely. But this, I don't think, is the way to no. 
Shout no, it's people. like, and she's like, if you want people to like respect you, you for your skin color, for your religion, you gotta respect other people. Otherwise, if you don't respect that, then you can't be Canadian. You don't belong here. Right. And it's like, whoa, whoa. These Something that again would never be said to the Catholics organizing, yes. you know, those things. And you were out too much. If you think it's excess, except, uh, acceptable to not show up because you think that there's some pride activities going on at school, right? Oh, that's fine. You know, because I'm going to show my opinion by hanging out at the mall. But meanwhile, all those kids who are, you know, involved in, say, the Gay Street Alliance or whatever, I don't even know if we have that anymore in our school, they're here when we did Ramadan for a long time, and they're showing respect in the class for your religion, right, for your beliefs, it goes two ways. If you want to be respected for who you are, if you don't want to suffer prejudice for your religion, your uh, color of skin, your whatever, then you better give it back to people who are different from you. That's how it works. It's an exchange. And it isn't like that in all countries. As I told you, in Uganda, literally, if you, they think you're gay, they will execute you. If you believe that kind of thing, then you don't belong here. Because that is not what Canada believes. We believe in freedom. We believe that people can marry whomever they want. That is in the law. And if you don't think that should be the law, you can't be Canadian. You don't belong here. And I mean it. I really mean it. And it's not a joke, Manzoor. I said back and forth. You want it, you got to give it. It just makes me angry. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it just or not to keep going back to Sam Harris, but it reminds me <laughs> of so much of, you know, in his response to me, he basically, he quoted, um, oh, I'm totally blanking on his name now. He's since become a huge Twitter personality. Is I think his first name is Gad. Gad Sad? Oh. Yes. So he, he quoted a tweet from, from him um, where he basically told me to go to a Muslim majority country wearing a shirt saying I was a gay atheist and see how that went. Um, because I, ha because I had, you know, been critical of, of Sam's, you know, what, what I would call, um, racial profiling argument mm. as if this idea that like, well, you know, why would you defend them when some of them wouldn't defend you, you know, mm -hmm. which again is just such a, such a narrow way of looking at things, especially from, the lens of who has power in this situation. Right. And um, just blanketly like assuming that all Muslims are the same, right? You wouldn't right. do it for like gay people. There are gay right wingers. I mean, Dave Rubin, uh, I really don't like him. That doesn't mean <laughs> right. like, well, Dave Rubin is not going to defend me. So why should I like, I would still defend Dave Rubin if someone was being homophobic to Dave Rubin, because I think that's well, a ridiculous reason to hate someone, hate him for his terrible views. Certainly. Well, and it's just such a cheap shot because you know, what, 
when I hear that, you know, oh, I should go to a Muslim-majority country wearing a T-shirt saying I'm a gay atheist, you know, what I think about actually is the, you know, closeted queer folks yeah. living in Muslim-majority countries who I've heard from, you know, yeah. like I, I, I remember getting emails from a couple folks asking if I could send them a PDF copy of Faithiest because they couldn't get, my, you know, that my first book because yeah. they, they couldn't get it there and, you know, sharing some of their story with me and, you know, like don't sort of feign concern over this imagined scenario where I go to this country, which is very far away from where I'm currently living, where I have much more pressing challenges as a queer person that I face here that mm-hmm. have much more to do with the right wing, including some of these folks who've moved from new atheism in, into, you know, those spaces as well. Then mm-hmm. I have to worry about at least in terms of myself going to a Muslim majority country, uh, which again, even if I did go, you know, I would have a very different experience than someone who was living there. Um, so, right. And why, why should that be the test that like you put yourself in danger and what, like, it just, why it's just such a misdirect (laughs) because, you know, really what it does is it's deflecting away from the, the, you know, very real criticism of the racial profiling argument that he was making, which again, you know, was one of the earlier sort of indications of what I think that, you know, the direction of uh, the organized atheist, particularly kind of new atheist movement has gone since. Right. And the irony in that is that like Gad sad hates Sam now because <laughs> Sam didn't go like full Trumper. Right. And, and again, like, Oh, how, you know, how funny that like you're sort of feigning this concern on my behalf as a queer person, you know, Oh, you're so concerned for m- my freedom and my rights as a queer person. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, allying yourself with all these people who are really actively working against my rights yeah, and my freedom. Yeah. They do that with like women too, right? Mm-hmm. They pretend it's about their concerns for women, but really it's because they just want to use that as an excuse to be bigoted towards Muslims because they themselves are pretty fucking sexist and misogynistic and anti-feminist. Right. Dawkins whole, uh, yeah. you're Muslima. Exactly, exactly. Right. Now, now Gad refers to Sam Harris as um, Malibu meditator. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm thinking of that uh, uh, worst person you know has right, <laughs> made, right, right. <laughs> made a point meme. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, again, I think some of these folks like James Lindsay, I mean, it just lays bare how, again, it, it really their, you know, sort of motivations have just been, like, purely opportunistic. It's like they saw an opportunity to, you know, they kind of were like, okay, here's where the energy is going, so this is where I'm going to focus my attention now as, you know, an online personality. I don't even want to call them a a sort of writer or thinker or whatever. Right, right. I think they always, like, their hate is pretty genuine. They were always pretty hateful. And, like, if you remember in the early days, there was, like, a pretty strong anti-SJW undercurrent. Absolutely. So that's what, like, the anti-SJW evolved or devolved into the anti-woke stuff, right? And the anti-feminist stuff. But it just, it shows that really, like, it is just sort of about, like, opportunistically kind of jumping on whatever 
is kind of getting the, you know, heat at the moment and what they can use to further their own hate as well. So exactly. like, like they I wouldn't jump on something that is uh, inclusive, even if it was getting like totally very popular. Absolutely. Like I, I know you wanted to talk about, you know, sort of corporate wokeness stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I see such a parallel here because, you know, I always like one of the things I always bristled at when people would kind of invoke, you know, LGBTQ people as a way of like scoring points against religion more generally or particularly mm. against Muslims is it just felt like it wasn't actually rooted in this sincere concern. It was mm. like, oh, I can use this as a cudgel yeah. against other people. And it just reminds me so much of, you know, what the sort of criticism I and a lot of other people have about the kind of corporate pride stuff is that mm-hmm. like it's really just like, oh, we'll sort of jump on this if we think that this is going to be the best thing for our bottom line and we'll abandon it the moment we feel it's, it isn't anymore, which, you know, has been what we've seen from Bud Light and Target Right, um, right. is like, Oh, suddenly this is hurting us. So, you know, we don't, it's, it's not really sincere at all. Of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, which is again, the case with what, you know, what I, and a lot of other people I think experienced from these online particularly or sort of new atheist folks who have kind of drifted now over to, um, you know, anti CRT, anti SJW, anti LGBT stuff is that, you know, at one point maybe they were arguing for, or, or sort of lifting up LGBT people, but they were really just using it, you know, as a kind of um, because it was convenient to the arguments that they wanted to make. Right, or, right. The as you said, the hate stuff that they wanted that. to further. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So this rainbow capitalism stuff, it's definitely, you know, they're not real allies or anything, but how, how are you feeling when they pull back so easily? Because, I mean, it's not even apparent that it's bad for their bottom line just yet. They just seem to be reacting to the loudest people out there, right? Absolutely. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's pathetic. It's, uh, it's, you know, but, but again, I think like so many people, um, that I know in LGBTQ spaces aren't surprised. Like maybe some people are disappointed, frustrated, Mm -hmm. um, not because, you know, target having pride merch is this like amazing, great thing, but rather because they pulled back really like just at the very first sort of, you know, sign of any kind of pushback. And it just, it just does lay bare what, so many of us have felt for so long, which is that it's sort of meaningless gestures. Uh It's not rooted in any kind of like real relationship with the queer community. Uh Um, It's, it's really just sort of um, trying to monetize. And yes, you know, like target, for example, does donate a percentage of proceeds to LGBTQ organizations. Sure. Whatever. But it's ultimately is really this sort of empty gesture that, certainly holds real meaning for some people. Like I think about queer people living in rural parts of the United States where, you know, walking into a target and seeing a pride display, like really does make them feel less alone, Mm -hmm. um, makes them feel, you know, more visible in, in ways that they feel, you know, are valuable. But for that same reason, the pullback, you know, is, 
very deeply felt by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a way to normalize something that is that made you feel alone. And if that's taken away, even if it's in the form of like an empty, shallow corporation, it still feels like, hey, you know. Right. And, you know, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is where Target was started and where it's, you know, a lot of it uh, is based. And so I know when I go to Pride, um, you know, even though Target has, you know, did this very cowardly sort of, you know, pullback, uh, they, you know, removed a significant number of their Pride materials from shelves, again, just like at the very first little bit of pushback, um, and tried to sort of pawn it off on saying like, oh, we're just trying to keep our employees safe, um, which Uh is, you know, just so, it's so, again, cowardly because Uh um, it's really not about employee safety. and, and, And it also, it's like sort of, you know, once you've given in to that kind of really, truly terroristic yes. behavior, you know, where did, where does that stop? You know, when these people start saying it's unsafe for our children, for there to be LGBTQ employees at Target, like mm-hmm. does Target just mm-hmm. give in to that too? Okay, you want to go into your own home and wear the princess outfit in your own home where no one else can see you, well, uh, uh, you know, there's nothing anyone will say about that because we don't know. Yeah, what everyone always says, well, what people do in the privacy of their own home is none of your business. Well, that that certainly is not always the case. There are plenty of things you can do in your home that are our business, but, uh, but, yeah, if you actually are in your own home dressed like that, nobody would know. I wouldn't know. Nobody would know. You come out in public that way, especially go to Disneyland that way, talking to kids that way. Well, uh, now it is everybody's business and you're trying to involve them. But so I know when I go to Pride here in Minneapolis um, that Target's going to, you know, be all over the place. They're going to have their, you know, huge um, booth. Mm. They're going to be in the parade. And and it's just, you know, it's like, oh. They want to kind of have it both ways. Yes. Um, which you even saw in their decision to kind of like not completely remove their mm-hmm. pride stuff, but remove some of it. They kind of thought, oh, maybe we can appease these people, people who will never be appeased. You know, there right, is no appeasing right. them. But they don't want to lose them as like their market as well, right? right? Like, yeah. So it's, um, you know, and again, I think for many of us, we never put much stock in corporate pride because we knew that it, you know, it's something that's built on shifting sand and the moment the winds blow a different direction, it's going to, you know, blow that way too. But I do think as we were talking about, about, you know, the sort of especially young, you know, LGBTQ people in, you know, more isolated areas who Mm -hmm. don't have a community right around them, how, you know, they are the ones who are going to feel the sort of sting of that kind of, you know, backlash and pullback more than, certainly more than I will. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it sucks. It sucks to see this happening. And um, what advice do you have for people, like, going to Pride events this year? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I've seen people express, like, fear around going to Pride events this year. Um, I think it was in Idaho last year, there was a a planned attack on a Pride event that was, um... Oh, that was the Patriot Front. Stopped at the last minute, yeah. Guys, yeah. Yeah, and I know that, you know, other, I saw people sort of saying that there's been chatter of, you know, more stuff like that, and so I absolutely understand why. Yeah. 
you know, some people might feel safer um, not going or staying home or finding kind of alternative events. And, you know, I think everyone has to kind of decide for themselves what their comfort level is. Mm-hmm. I, as of now, I'm still planning to go. I bring my two nephews and niece every year. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just feel, you know, a little bit of responsibility to kind of give them a world and access mm-hmm. to a world that I just didn't have when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they love it. They, they think of it as like, you know, when you go to a parade and they're throwing out a million free things and you yes, just want to grab yes, everything. Yeah. They just want to grab everything from every booth. <laughs> um, they don't totally always understand everything. I a few I want to say three or four years ago we got a picture with a furry at Pride. They definitely just thought it was some big you know stuffed animal mascot. Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's but, the thing. People think like well, right wing people think that they are interpreting things with the same lens as adults, but that is not true. Absolutely. Absolutely not. No, they had no idea that that wasn't just like the same kind of mascot they might see at a sports event or something. Exactly. Um, But, you know, we do have like very, you know, open, honest conversations. If they have questions about Mm -hmm. things they see, we'll talk about it. But, you know, I think most people are able to talk to children in ways that are like age appropriate. <laughs> it's, it's not rocket science. Yes. And it's so much easier than these people make it out to be. Like I take my kid and you know, he loves it too. Yeah. And I, you know, I, what I wouldn't have given to have had an adult to kind of help me, you know, enter into that world when I was younger and, and mm-hmm. you know, it like, I'm, I have no idea who my nephews and niece are going to grow up into being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but regardless, just for them to kind of be aware of what's out there, you know, this idea that they're going to be exposed and, and thus it's going to make them move one way or another is so silly, obviously. Yeah. You know, I, I was raised in the same family <laughs> as my two brothers right. who are both, you know, very stereotypical heterosexual you right. know, men, you know, so I think the fears are obviously very very silly and meritless, but, um, I mean, I don't know. I just think like kids today are going to under, like, they're going to, they're going to discover what's out there. They're going to see what's out there one way or another, whether you kind of show them or not. I found my way to queer spaces without that adult kind of guiding me, Mm -hmm. but having an adult who they trust to be able to give them honest answers who can help them kind of put it in context, I think is so valuable. And, and that's really the irony of people who, you know, want to kind of shield their children from anything different or anything that is, is like, they're actually kind of not getting any opportunity to help the kid contextualize it and understand it. Right. right. Not that I want a lot of those people giving the context to be honest, but exactly, exactly. But kids will be who they end up being, whether you try to hide the whole world from them or not. Exactly. And all, you know, all you can do is make it harder for them to, you know, eventually make their way to who they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, no, I think it's wonderful that you're such a great uncle. It's fun. It's fun for me. I like seeing pride through their eyes. It's yeah. like, I just noticed so many things that I wouldn't have otherwise noticed. And, you know, people always also at pride are just like always so excited to see, 
young people there because again, like for a lot of us, we grew up in a very different world where it would have been unimaginable for a parent, for an uncle to take us to an event like that. And, you know, it's just, I think a lot of people are like, recognize how special that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's the direction I had hoped the world was generally moving in. But to my surprise, things started to go backwards. I have to hope that what's happening right now is a kind of knee-jerk reaction, the kind of, like, obviously it's not the dying breath because, you know, it's not as if transphobia, homophobia is going to just, is going to ever really disappear. But I do think that what we're seeing right now is, I mean, I saw numbers recently on, um, you know, how many Gen Z folks consider themselves or identify as LGBTQ. And it was like a huge percentage. And I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that side of the culture war recognizes that they're losing. And that's Mm. why they're, you know, reacting in such intense ways is because they're trying to hold on to a privileged position in the culture that they once had and that they recognize as slipping between their fingers. So that's what gives me hope in moments when I start to feel hopeless. Absolutely. That's, that's what I think too. And I hope that we are right because it does seem like that. That's why they're so desperately trying to pump out their propaganda and push so hard. Exactly. One bit of funny news before I let you go is that, uh, you know how they had that, um, I think it was like a new law that allowed people to remove, quote unquote, what they considered pornographic material or books from school libraries. So this was in in Utah and I think probably used for anything that was um, LGBTQ inclusive, like not remotely pornographic at all. Right. But, you know, that's how they're framing it. So that law was used recently by a parent (laughs) to have the Bible removed. (laughs) I think I might have seen something about this today even. Oh, it's Uh. so funny because (laughs) they had it removed (laughs) from all elementary and middle school libraries throughout this particular Utah school district. That's so funny. And they cited the fact that, you know, it it is uh, full of incest, bestiality, (laughs) genital mutilation and uh yeah right right wow inside utah state capitol the latest clash over banned books after a school district took aim at the best-selling book of all time the bible is there evidence that the bible does not have serious artistic value with the holy book in one hand and signs in the other frustrated parents calling out the recent decision by davis school district that voted to remove the king james version of the bible from elementary and middle school libraries period thank you very much the move coming after a complaint was filed with the district in december when the district received an anonymous grievance that said the school district was ignoring quote one of the most sex-ridden books around, the Bible, adding that this edition of the Bible, quote, has no serious values for minors because it's pornographic by our new definition. Get this porn out of our schools. I mean, kudos to whoever had that idea, you know, for making a point. (laughs) I I, am. This won't be a surprise. I teach a a religion class at a Mm -hmm. university, but I, you know, personally, like I grew up in a school where religion was like never 
discussed. It wasn't taught. I mean, it came up. Um, people brought up their own religion, but you know, there was there were no sort of. I never had a class growing up on you know world religions, for example, and. I mean, I think that there's a real loss when people don't, mm-hmm. when kids growing up don't learn about religion. You know, I, I was growing up in a non-religious household and, you know, the only religion I really knew anything about before I was 12 years old or so was Judaism. And it was really just because I had a close friend who was Jewish and whose family would invite me over for Jewish holidays and mm-hmm. would kind of teach me why they were doing different things. And it just, you know, it, it, I learned so much about her, her family, about, you know, their holidays that they celebrate, all of that. And I, I just think it's, I mean, just to teach kind of some of the basics in schools would just help like demystify and Mm -hmm. take away, you know, some of the fear. Like you don't have to teach it as the truth, right? Right, You can just teach kids about different types of... Like here's what, here's what some people believe. Here's what some other people believe. (laughs) And, um, it's, I think people are just so deathly afraid to talk about it. And then what ends up happening is those who are in a sort of culturally, you know, privileged position end up being the ones who really like, you know, who people learn the most about as a result. Mm -hmm. So I knew plenty, even though I was growing up in a non-religious household about Christianity, I knew almost nothing about Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, anyway, but that's just my own little personal bias. Right, right. No, I I don't disagree. I mean, there's lots of ways to teach religion. You don't have to be like, hey, you should subscribe to this. But it can help with, like, teaching children about accepting people that are different from them. So, yeah, without being afraid, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, no, thank you so much, Chris, for giving me your time this evening. And, uh, of course, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me and, um, you know, keep fighting the good fight. (laughs) And, you know, your TL has been uh, educational to me. I have learned about stuff like, uh, Twink death from, <laughs> from your timeline. Uh, so important. I didn't, as a cis het woman, I did not uh, know what that meant. So <laughs> very important thing to learn about. So I'm, you know, I'm happy I could help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support it, there are several ways you can do that. You can share it online, talk about what you just heard. You can leave a five-star review to help others find it too. And you can also subscribe via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No E in mangoes. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter before it's uh, completely wrecked, you'll find me at nice mangoes. Again, no E in mangoes.